We are so blessed to have Caleb and Emily Arnold here this morning, and they are missionaries in Mexico, uh, specifically ministering to the Tepuan people. Is that correct? Amen. And so um, we've been praying and talking and, and studying in Matthew. Jesus is sending out the apostles and we actually have real people who have gone out and, and are actually doing this. Isn't this amazing? And so they're here this morning. We have an opportunity to hear from them what God is doing, how he, uh, what he's doing in them and through them to a people group that we might not know of or, or, or have heard of before. And so if you would, I would invite Caleb up, but please give the Arnolds a warm welcome. Amen. Good morning. We don't have the whole gang, but we got our son. He's a little shy. He doesn't <laughs> like to go into Sunday school. But, um, yeah, so I'm Caleb, my wife Emily. This little guy is Cohen. Um, our daughter, our oldest daughter is Desleanne or Desi. And then Avonlea has the blue eyes and the peach colored shirt on the left there. And then Tessa Joe has the Mexico dress on. Uh, Lord blessed us with twins about a year and a half ago, so we've, been, we've had our hands full for that time. Um, to start off, we just kind of wanted to share a little bit about ourselves, our stories, and um, I wanted you to hear from my wife. She's a local Walla Walla Tushi uh, farm girl, so I'm going to let her share her testimony with you. Thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to share with you all. Um, I'm Emily, as they've said before. Um, I did. I grew up right in Tushi. Actually, Ms. Nolan was my librarian growing up, <laughs> so she knows me pretty well from way back. Um, yeah, so I grew up loving horses, of course. Um, I actually, when I, was, um, when I was 12, my dad got me my own horse, and then I bred her, and she gave birth to this beautiful filly. This is an important part of the story, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, I started breaking this little filly um, when she was two years old. She would come when I whistled. She was this gorgeous buckskin. She was my dream horse. So every time I was working with her or riding her, I thanked God for giving me this dream horse because he knew every little aspect of what my dream horse would have. And he gave me all of those things in this beautiful filly. Her name was Viento. Um, I grew up in a believing family. I got saved when I was really little. Um, but I didn't know anything about missions until I graduated. Andrew Sayers was actually, for any of you who know him, he was my youth pastor. Um, and he, um, I didn't really want to go to college. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Um, so I asked him what he did, and he said he went to Bible school, and that was my first time hearing about the option of going to a Bible school instead of going to college. And so I went to Ecola Bible School in Cannon Beach, Oregon, for two years, I attended there for two years, and that's where I learned about missions. Um, it was, the, the day was 11-11-2011. Um, yeah, wow. Do you? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, but we had a missions teacher come, and he was telling us about how in the world today, there's over 2,000 ethnic groups of people that have their own culture and their own language who don't have a single person who can speak their language to tell them about Jesus. And um, I was just blown away. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that there were so many people who still didn't even have access to the gospel. And he shared this analogy of a building. There's this, it's, it's a tall building and it's on fire. Um, and uh, you go to the first story and you start knocking on doors saying, there's a fire coming, there's a fire coming, we need to evacuate. And they don't believe you. And you go to the next door and you try again. And they don't believe you. And you do that for the whole floor. And some believe, some don't. 
And then you're met with a choice at the end of the floor. You either go back and try to persuade those that have already heard that there really is a fire coming, or you go to the floors above who haven't even had the opportunity to reject it or accept it. Um, and that really gripped my heart, too. So, I, so our teacher was like, today is 11-11-11. Let today be the day that you decide to be a missionary. And I was like, I'm going to be a missionary. Um, <laughs> but I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know. I needed to, I needed to be trained. Um, so I asked um, many of our teachers, um, I said, I want to be a long-term cross-cultural church-planting missionary to one of those 2,000 unreached people groups. How do I do that? <laughs> um, and they pointed me to the mission organization that we are currently a part of, which is, back then it was called New Tribes Mission, but now it's known as Ethnos 360. And they specialize in church-planting among those 2,000 unreached people groups, and they have their own training and everything. Um, but anyway, so I, I decided that, but then a, a month or two later, I got, a, I got a call from my mom, and she says, Emily, I don't know how to tell you this, but your dad and your brother found your little filly's corpse down in the lower pasture, all tangled up in barbed wire and half-eaten by coyotes. And my heart just broke, and I was bawling as if my mother had died. Um, but I knew, I knew that the Lord was speaking to me. He was teaching me something. And so I went on a run to, to just talk with the Lord. I brought my Bible, and um, I, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. You have my full attention. And he said two things to me, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. The first thing was this. He said, Emily, your heart is breaking for a horse. She's not in danger of hell. She's not in danger of an eternity separated from me. Um, but your heart is not breaking for my children, people who are made in my image who are dying and going to hell. And... Um, it was just an insight into my own heart and where I was still at and needed to grow from. And the second thing he said was, um, your life is not your own. Um, all growing up, we were, we, were, we were always told, you know, you choose your own destiny. You follow the future that you want to pursue. You're, you follow your heart, follow your dreams. And so I just grew up believing that, you know, okay, I'm going to do what I want to do. But Jeremiah, God tells us in Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? You know, it's always a very dangerous path to follow your own heart because our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Um, and uh, I was reading in my Bible and read 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. Actually, we have it written down here. Um, verses 14 through 15. And they say that um, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us. So we judge thus, that if one died for all, that's us, he died for us, then all have died. So we are dead. So that those who now live, you and me, we're still living, should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and was raised again for them. I think we have it right here. Um, and that was just a really compelling, um, compelling bit of scripture that the Holy Spirit really used in my heart to, to direct me again and um, just give me a reality check. My life is not my own. My decisions belong to the Lord. And so for the first time in my life, I had the honor and the privilege of building an altar and laying my will down on the altar and offering it to the Lord. Um, and so then, so then shortly after that, I graduate, and I, I need to know the Bible more. I decided I needed to know the Bible more if I was going to be teaching it to people who had never heard it before. So I went to the Bible school in Michigan where Caleb and I met. Um, and we got married after knowing each other for 11 months. Yeah. And, 
and then finished up our training with um, with Ethnos 360 to be church planters. Um, and I'll let Keila come up and share the rest with you. Thank you. It never, it never gets old hearing how the Lord works in people's lives, um, especially in my wife's life. I love hearing that story. Uh, I am as far away from local as you can get. I grew up in Mexico as a missionary kid. My folks moved down there. I was actually born down there. So when I was nine months old, we, well, I was born in the city of Chihuahua, where we're currently living. And when I was nine months old, my folks moved out to a mountain town called Baburigame. See if you can say that. Baburigame. We called it BG growing up because it was easier to say. Uh, so I grew up in this small mountain town called BG. And around this town lived the Tepewan people. There's about 10,000 Tepewan that live in northern, northern Chihuahua State, actually southern Chihuahua State, northern Mexico. And um, you guys have heard Spanish. Buenos dias, como están ustedes? Muchas gracias por invitarme. Soy Caleb. That was Spanish. You've heard it. Lots of Mexicans here. Baiga, mashamuga, kagapya, kagupa, tumawayapitanai, my mataanu. That's Tepewan. A little different than Spanish, don't you think? Uh, it's an Aztecan based language, not European like Spanish. Uh, so I grew up in a context outside of this small town hearing Spanish and that Tepewan language and just grew up around that. Uh, my parents had, there were several families of missionaries and so I had American and Canadian friends growing up and then um, a lot of visitors. My mom hosted and she was a great host and would have people in our home all the time. And so I grew up hearing this language, hearing Hearing why we were there, we were there because these people had no opportunity to hear about Christ. There was no scripture in the Tepewan language. They, there was no believers that could tell them about Christ, and there was no church in that town to reach them. So my parents, from a very young age, were here to, to reach the Tepewan people, to tell them about Christ. So I grew up with that understanding, like, yes, we're here to tell them about Christ. Um, but I had a very sinful little heart, like we all do and had when we were kids. I remember one story or one time when I was probably 10 or 11, I came down from my room and the, this family that lived like a mile away, they would come very often because my mom would feed them. And that is a very compelling reason to come visit is you get a free meal out of it. And they, she had like four little girls. And so like my kids is age and younger and they were all girls. And as a 10 year old boy, and they stink, these people, they don't bathe. They, they bathe in the summer in the, in the creek by the by where we live, but if it's winter, if it's cold, they don't bathe, and so they stink. And these kids were on my favorite rocking chair in our living room, and I remember just getting so mad because they smelled like pee, and they, they, yeah, they stank. And I just, I looked at my mom, I was like, Mom, can you tell them to get off my chair? Like, that's my prized rocking chair. And I remember my, my mom's response, she's just a gracious woman, um, if my kids did that, I would be like, shame on you. How dare you be so rude? But she was like, Caleb, these, these kids, they're, they're living in a, in a mud hut with dirt floors. And maybe they have some hard wooden chairs that their dad made. The least thing we can do to show them the love of Christ is to let them sit on our rocking chair and let them play on it. We can wash it later. We can get the smell out later. Like, the least we can do is let them have a little bit of comfort and show them the love of Christ in that way. And I just remember that in the moment, I didn't take it to heart. Um, 
but as I got older, I remember those story, those, those, those things that happened to me, those examples of my parents' love for these people and, and my parents' sacrifice. And they weren't perfect by any means, and they know it, and I know it. But just to see the Lord use them, broken as they were, to love these people. Um, we were there for about 15 years. So I grew up there from, yeah, nine months old to about 14, 15 years old. And in 2007, my parents learned, learned the language. And in 2007, there was a group of Tepewan people that found out and learned about Christ for the first time in, in human history. So now we're excited and we rejoice that there's a church, a baby church among the Tepewan people in Mexico. Um, and I, I saw a lot of just hard things growing up. A lot of friends um, that committed suicide or were killed because of the drug cartel, the violence. Um, is a very... Just, yeah, very hard place to live as, as the people there, um, they don't have what we have here. They don't have electricity. They don't have the comforts that we have. Um, a lot of babies died because there's no hospital. My mom saved a lot of babies and through that got to share the gospel with people. So growing up, I had this, this exposure to missions um, that not many people get. And as I got older, um, the Lord began to work in my heart to, to want to do this with my life, to serve him by reaching a people group like this, by love, to love people, to have a heart of compassion. And um, so as we were in Mexico, I kind of had this idea. And then the drug cartel got really dangerous in about 2009. And we, were, we left as a family, left Mexico and moved to Missouri. Um, and so I finished my high school years in Missouri and a public school there. And, and during those years, the Lord... The Lord was still active in my heart, but I began to kind of snuff him out a little bit. And I wanted to be a mechanic, and I played soccer, and all my soccer buddies had nice big houses. They had cool cars that their parents bought them. I had a rusty old Isuzu pickup that I bought with my own money. It barely ran, but I loved it. And so I began to, like, see the world and want the things of the world, and, and just, like, my path began to change. It's like, I'm going to be a mechanic so that I can buy a nice house, which a mechanic's not a great way to make a lot of money, but I enjoyed tinkering. So I began to walk down that path, and, and the Lord was so gracious to me that he allowed me to really just see my buddies, the, the friends I had, by going to their houses and seeing their families, seeing how their parents, they, were, they had all these things that I thought were cool and would be nice to have, and yet their parents weren't satisfied. And their kids were going to pursue the same dreams of a bigger house and nicer stuff, and I, the Lord just allowed me to see that that's not going to satisfy. That's not where life is. That's not where true life is, is, is in those things. And, and then I, I w was invited to go back to Mexico with my folks for a summer trip and uh, for six weeks down to where I grew up in the small town of Baburigame. So I went with them, and it was just a big eye-opener again. The Lord reminded me of my childhood there and, and many of my friends who now who were now gone, who had been killed, who had, been, who had suicide, um, committed suicide. And then there were other of my friends who were brothers in Christ now. And just to see that, that fruit that the Lord brought really impacted me. Um, and I decided when I was in, uh, a junior in high school that that's what I wanted to spend my life doing, is reaching people and making an eternal impact and the Lord just showed me two things. He showed me that there's two things that are eternal. 
all this stuff that we have is just going to rust and, and be eaten um, and rot away. There's two things that are eternal, the word of God and people's souls. And in, that, in those moments, the Lord just convinced me and convicted me, you need to pursue things that are eternal and not the things that are temporal. Um, and so this verse is very applicable for me as well. But I wanted to read the larger portion to, to give it better context, and it's a great challenge for all of us. 2 Corinthians 5, verses, we're going to start in 14 and go all the way to 21. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that Christ uh, for that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling, reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This passage is just so powerful. We are all called to be ambassadors wherever we are, for Emily and I, it's in Mexico, but each one of you is called to be an ambassador of Christ here to, to reconcile people back to, back to God. Um, and Christ, God is making an appeal through us, through the way we live our lives, through the words we say. He is making an appeal to this lost and dying world. And uh, that's the verses we keep coming back to. Over the years, we've had ups and downs, and having the twins, my wife's health kind of went down for a while down in Mexico, and this verse, the love of Christ is the reason we're there. That's the reason we stay, and if, if we would have come home a long time ago if his love wasn't what was keeping us there. Um, so <clears throat> we met at Bible school, and uh, yeah, I sat in the back of the class at Bible school with the married men. I've always, I think it's because I grew up overseas and I didn't have like a whole sphere of uh, peers. I always was drawn to older older guys. And uh, so I would hang out with the married men and just observe as a good MK does and noticed Emily right away. She always asked very profound questions. I think it was because she had gone to Bible school already and she had some knowledge and a walk with, with the Lord. And so I would try to find her after class, but she worked as well as doing Bible school. So I could barely, barely ever saw her, but I found out what church she was going to. And that was key. I, and there were the bus, the school bus, or the church bus would come to the Bible school, and, and it would pick us up, and we'd go to church. So I found out where she was going, and then I'd ride in the, on the bus with her and sit next to her. And the Lord was gracious, and she was accepting of me being interested. Um, and then it was a funny joke, because I had never met her parents or anyone else in her family. And I called him up and said, hey, can I date your daughter? And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. And then a couple weeks later, I think it was like a month or two later, I called him, hey, can I marry your daughter? And he was like, ah, sure. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is cool. But it just shows the trust they had in her uh, weeding out the garbage, I guess. No. Um, and then I was like, hey, can I fly out for the summer, work on the farm, and then we get married at the end of the summer? 
And he was like, yeah, that'll, that would work well. And so the whole joke that summer was Jacob had to work seven years for Rachel's hand, but I only had to work seven weeks for Emily's hand. So it was a good deal. And I got the right sister at the end of it. So it worked out really well. Um, but yeah, we got married and then went back to Bible school. And um, then we came back and lived here for a year, worked on the farm. And then the missionary training center is two years where you learn how to learn a language, do Bible translation, teach literacy, kind of the ins and outs of mission work. So we went there in Camdenton, Missouri for two years. Um, so we've been on this track for several years now. And then the Lord allowed us to go to Mexico in 2020, 2020 for the first time. And then COVID hit and we found out we were having twins and we took a break and came back to have the twins. And now we're, we've been in Mexico another year and a half or so. Back and forth, back and forth. We're all over the board, but the Lord is faithful. So the Lord in Matthew 28, Jesus is, um, we know this very common passage, but <clears throat> we take it very literally as missionaries. <laughs> it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we know that this is a physical thing, going is a place. We're going to a place. It's not just metaphorical. Go out into your communi community. During this time, the disciples were in Jerusalem, and he was saying, go, like, spread the, spread the good news. And making dis disciples, that speaks of intentionality, not just converts, not just, oh, yeah, okay, you know Jesus died for you. All right, I'm going to go home now. You got this. Discipleship is not just knowledge. It's a deep walk with the Lord. Of all nations, we know that means not just political boundaries, but ethnic groups. The Greek word ethne that is used there is ethnic groups. And like Emily shared, there's over 2,000 unreached ethnic groups still in the world, give or take a couple numbers. And uh, my greatest, well, my favoriteest part is that Christ says, I am with you always. And another verse that I didn't put in here, that's my favorite verse in the Bible, is it's Christ's promise. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ is building his church and we can count on that and yet he wants us to, he's inviting us to join him in his work of seeing his church built. And that's, that's exciting. It's like the dad who goes and he's building something. He's building some cupboards or some cabinets and he invites his three-year-old son along and says, yeah, you can help me. All right, you take this nail and hammer and go smack it in that board. I'm going to be over here. And, but even still, he takes that little project his son does and he adds it to the cabinet or something like that. Christ is inviting us, even though he's the master builder, he's inviting us to participate with him in his building the church all around the world. So Mexico, a lot of people think, oh, Mexico's reached. There's not tribes in Mexico. There's over 245 dialects in Mexico. So 245 languages it's give or take a couple because some dialects are related. Um, so Tepehuan, there's Taromara, Triqui, Cora, Teltal. I could name all of them. Actually, not all of them, but here's a cool map of all the different people groups in Mexico. And like you can see, they, they're not um, all in one spot or even all in one state. They're all over the board. Where we live and work is the top. It's not the biggest people group in Chihuahua State but it's the second largest people group. It's the little orange ones in the bottom of the, the northernmost state there, the Tepewan people. And um, yeah, I wanted to read 
something to you guys because a lot of people do trips, mission trips to Mexico and and we get excited about those short-term mission trips. People get saved and they we believe they have a good understanding of who Christ is. But I wanted to read this story that my dad wrote. Actually, it's his testimony of a, a conversation he had with the Tepewan man years ago. This man, his name is Andres. He's a patriarch of a, a family of probably 30, 30 other families. And um, one of my dad's close friends, but he has rejected the gospel multiple times. And he said this a couple years ago during Easter time. He says, Matt, don't, don't worry, Matt. We both believe in Jesus. It'll be okay. Star and I, my mom, were visiting his family. You would think that my heart soared to hear his comment, but my heart sank. Why? Do the details of the story matter? Does it matter that my friend believes that Jesus was the first Tepewan man to live on the earth? Does it matter that he believes that the Mexicans tried to kill Jesus out of racial hatred? Does it matter that he believes that Jesus didn't die, but rather tricked his persecutors? Does it matter that Jesus escaped with his wife Mary to another world across the sea? Does it matter that Andres believes that he is not a sinner because he hasn't killed anyone and he hasn't married a Mexican? Those are the two sins, uh, disqualifying sins. Does it matter that he believes he is, a, he is God's child because he is a Tepewan and not a Mexican? Does it matter that he believes that I became a child of God when I learned his language? Does it matter that Jesus didn't have anything to do with my conversion to child of God in his mind? Another Easter story that breaks my heart. Would it matter for the sea people? They're not the sea people, but we're going to keep the name anonymous. Who believe that God sent their ancestors, the Pharisees, to kill Jesus. It is important to note that the sea people live in Mexico and aren't Jews. Would it matter that they believe that God the Father ordered his son's death because Jesus forced his mother into an incestuous event? Is that messed up or what? Does it matter that they celebrate his death as a just punishment for such a vile act? Does it matter that the, the Pharisees are the heroes of this story? Did it matter to me, this is my dad speaking, that Easter weekend 35 years ago that I began to see who Jesus Christ was and what he did? Did it matter that in that conference, Jesus became more than a fairy tale from the Bible? Did it matter that I realized my lostness before the holiness of God? Did it matter that Jesus Christ, the one who lived as a carpenter in Israel, was the virgin-born son of God? Did it matter that this one, who is perfect and sinless, took the cross in my place? Did it matter that I came to the place of realizing I had nothing to offer? I was helpless in my own strength to make myself acceptable to the Father. Did it matter that when I was made to understand that Jesus died on the cross in my place, that his offer of eternal life was a gift to be accepted by faith? Did it matter that I stopped trying to fix myself and fell at the foot of the cross in complete dependence and rest? Yes, the details matter. They matter for us today. They matter deeply for the hundreds of people groups in the world who have, who, who have heard about Jesus, but have filled in the story with their own details. And those details are found in the Bible. Please pray for the Tepewan believers, the believers among the Tepewan and the sea people who have been made to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Pray that they would be bold to proclaim the good news and pray for more laborers to go to places where the confusion is one of the most difficult barriers to salvation. Pray for the laborers to be patient, to not rush to affirm someone like my friend Andres, who is trapped in the lies of the liar.
Pray for real grace in the lives of servants to patiently show and teach about the biblical Jesus so that men and women like Andres can discover the Jesus who saves. Pray for Andres that he would follow some of his children to faith in the biblical Jesus and pray for my folks as they continue to, to work among the Tepewan. Uh, they're actually out there right now. Um, yeah, so Mexico is not a reached nation. If anything, the confusion is the biggest issue. People think they know who Jesus is, but they just add him to their syncretistic, animistic beliefs. And the only way to correct that is through this book right here. Oops. And that's what we want to do. We want to learn their language so that we can teach this book at a heart level so that they understand the biblical Jesus. So here's the timeline. I could have put this in earlier, but um, our training, our preparation time was four, four years for me, six years for my wife because she was extra spiritual. No, she went to that other Bible school. And then the Lord allowed us to learn Spanish in just over a year in Mexico and Chihuahua City. Um, so we learned Spanish to fluency, if you want to say that. Don't ask a native because we're still not fluent compared to a native. And then we're trusting the Lord to learn Tepewan, that language I sh shared with you earlier. I know a little bit, um, but it's very challenging. It's very different than English or Spanish, grammatically and phonetically. So we're in that phase right now. And the, the goal is to see a church es established among the Tepewan in Chihuahua City, where we're working. Um, yeah, so that's our timeline. We're planning to be there for a long time. This isn't a short, short, short-term trip. Uh, we're in, we're gonna, Lord willing, invest our our lives in this. Um, I have a video here of of other missionaries who worked, I think, in Thailand, and it's it's very cool. It's testimonial of what the Lord has done there. So I'm gonna share this with you, and hopefully it works.
I wish we had a cool video like that, but not yet. Maybe in the years to come. Um, so this is the small town that I grew up. I grew up a couple miles outside of this town. Um, and the Lord allowed us to go there as a family. We've, we felt ever since we've joined um, the mission that this, well, for me, it's like I have a heart for these people. I grew up with them. Um, the young men that are now, they have wives and kids. I, I grew up playing soccer with them. And so I've always had a heart for these people. And the, the Lord allowed us to go um, and visit for a couple of days. And then we were like, okay, I think this is where the Lord is guiding and directing us. And so we went for five weeks just to, um, yeah, to, to get our boots on the ground, see where we could live, see if this was a great, a good fit, and just to test out the waters a little bit. And we're sure glad we did because during that trip, the cartel, okay, so Mexico is a mess. The drug cartel basically runs the show. Different cartels run the show in different places, and they fight. So a lot of times there's, there's wars inside towns or cities of different cartels fighting. And BG happens to be one of those hot spots where drugs grow really well, and cartels want that territory. So over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of cartel activity out there. Um, and we, we went and we were kind of like, Lord, if this is where you want us, we're going to feel a peace about this, even though it's kind of a dangerous environment. And we went out there for those five weeks. And this was a calm time of year when there was not much activity. And just the, the drunkenness, the violence, the assassinations happening in the town square was just not an environment we felt the Lord would have us raise our family in. So... We, um, this is the church, this is, these are the Tepewan believers that live in, in Baburigame or the surrounding area, and my folks are there, uh, the guy with white hair and the, the, the woman kneeling down there. Um, those are my folks, and they're, they continue to work in MBG itinerantly, they make trips out there. But we, we spent those five weeks, and, and we enjoyed our time, we got to know people, we, we loved it out there. But during that time, my wife got sick with typhus and maybe something else. And we left. We got back to Chihuahua City and had a couple weeks to really pray and seek the Lord. And we just did not have peace about moving out there as a family um, because of the violence and the insecurities. Um, yeah. And the Lord really gave us a peace about saying no to that direction. And then he opened up through other missionaries and my folks and, and leaders in our mission organization to do some investigating if there's Tepewan people that are coming to the city where we live right now. Because as the cartel violence ex escalates, more and more people are getting out of that environment and trying to get away. Um, they, the, only job, the only jobs they have in the mountains is to work in the drug cartel fields. And if they don't want to work there, there's really no way for them to make money. So a lot of people are moving to the city to get, to get a real job or a better job, get away from the violence. Um, so we, we did some investigation our assessment of Chihuahua and where the Tepewan are. And, and so we, we started this as my wife was sick and my parents helped a lot. How many live in Chihuahua? How many Tepewan people are in Chihuahua? Do they still use Tepewan or are they using Spanish? Um, where are the believers? Are there believers in the city of Chihuahua? And where could we, what are their needs? And how could we strategically help them and serve them? Um, and so we did this assessment for about six months as my wife was recovering. And we found that there are many Tepewan in Chihuahua City. The government did a census about two years ago, and there was 300 in their census. But my mom and dad have met with lots of people in the, the mountains, and they think there's at least 
400 or 500 Tepewan in the city. And we found Juan Mario, my buddy, I um, and his wife. We were baptized together by my dad in a small creek in the mountains. And that was super cool because we met with him and his wife is not a believer, but we met with Juan Mario and, and we're like, Juan Mario, we're thinking about trying to start a church here in town in the city with Tepewan. And his eyes just lit up and he was like, yes, I want to help you. I want to see a church here for my people. And, and they've tried to go to different churches, but they live in the poor side of town and all the churches there are more like cults and um, not good Bible teaching churches. And so the fact that we wanted to start a church for his people and for him and to help him reach his wife, he just lit up and like a Christmas tree and wants to help us. And he's the main man, the my main language helper for Tepewan. And how cool, because I grew up with this guy, and yet the Lord is bringing us together as co-workers in ministry. And um, a lot of the ministry might be done in Spanish because they intermarry um, with Mexicans or other native people. Um, this family lives in Chihuahua. They're dear friends of my folks. Um, one of their sons I grew up playing with, and he actually committed suicide before he knew the Lord. And so we went and visited them in the city, and they, like, welcomed us with open arms. They taught my daughter how to make tortillas and just welcomed us like we were old friends because my mom was with us and they were old friends. But just the fact that they embraced us as a new family, um, this was really cool. And yet this family does not know the Lord and are they're very close to the gospel. So we can pray for them. They wanted to hold the babies and shake their hands like a good tepewan and it was a good time. My wife was still pretty sick during this time. And then the kids were out, outside playing with their grandkids, chucking kittens off of the truck and watching them land, you know, like good farm kids. No. <laughs> they were fine. The cats were fine. Uh, this is another family that's in Chihuahua City. And you can just see the, uh, there's a picture better of the housing they live in. They live in shacks um, on the outskirts of town. This family uh, are not believers. The, the one woman on the right side next to my mom in the blue She's a believer. She's kind of the matriarch of, she's got eight sons and they have wives and kids and they all live in one little community in the city of Chihuahua and she's the only believer among them. That's my mom giving her some Bibles in Tepewan that are not just the New Testament in Tepewan. The New Testament has been translated in, in, uh, in Tepewan, but not the Old Testament yet. So pray for that family. The men are very, usually pretty closed and yet I'm trusting the Lord to break into their hearts and to build friendship with them. This is in front of her house. She has a wood, she still cooks with a wood stove and they bring her pallets and she breaks up the pallets and cooks with that. Um, family and ministry, we take our kids with us. <laughs> It'd be nice if we had a babysitter, but uh, grandma's not there right now, so no. And then this family, that's a picture of the same gal, but they were sleeping on these torn up mattresses, two mattresses for like 10 people, I think. And the Lord allowed us to, to provide some new mattresses for them. They're used, but newer than what they had and some blankets and some furniture. Um, just, man, small ways to show them the love of Christ and, and say, we're, we want to help you. We want to love you because Christ loves you. And this is the housing situation they have. It's a one room, probably 10 by 10, one room building with dirt floors that 10 of her or her and her kids and her husband were staying in. And um, so there's, their living conditions in the city are terrible. And yet we know that their spiritual condition is just as terrible. And that's why we're there. 
this is the city of Chihuahua, and all those <clears throat> green little drops are where we found Tepewan in the city of Chihuahua. So they're spread out pretty far, and yet <clears throat> the Lord has provided for us to, um, to live closer to them. This is the, the property. So we live, in, we live pretty much pr- pretty far north in the center of the city, and in order to get to where they live, it takes 30 to 40 minutes driving because of the traffic. And so we've been praying to the Lord for a place that would be closer to the Tepewan people and would be outside of the city because we love country life. We would much rather live in the country for our kids to grow up having space because our, our yard is literally like a 12 by 24 foot patio. And we have four kids, two dogs. So you can imagine there's not much room for playing outside. So we've been trusting the Lord for a place out in the country and that would be closer to the Tepewan. And we were meeting with some pastors and some friends and one of the guys who was a missionary and a pastor, he, he was like, hey, our church where I pastor, they have a piece of property like out there where you're thinking about and it's empty. It's been empty for a year or two. Let me talk to the head pastor and see what we can do. So the church, they, they decided they were going to let us rent this place. It's an old church camp, basically. Um, so it's got a, the pictures don't show quite well. But you can kind of see that big building is a covered basketball court, and then it's got a kitchen attached to it on the side. So like an ideal place to do church, have a meal afterward. It's covered so you can stay out of the weather. And they love the Tepewan do life outside. They, they'd much rather be outside than inside. So a perfect setup for us to start um, for doing church planning to do Bible studies. And then we're going to, Lord willing, we're trusting the Lord to convert the yellow building on that top bottom left into our house. Um, and that is what that Christmas tree project is going toward is, is the funds to help, help us make that into a house. So thank you guys. Thank you for, for helping us with that. Then the other building, there's one more building. It's kind of a, a tin building in the bottom, right? We're going to make that into like a multi-purpose homeschool room, office, guest bedroom, everything else that doesn't really fit in the other little house. We're going to put in that one. So we're excited. The Lord just is opening doors and, as we were sick and not sure what we were doing, it was like, Lord, are we done here? Are we coming home? And the Lord was like, no, you're staying. Let me open some doors for you and just show you where you're going to go. And it was really just to see the Lord guiding us because we were pretty discouraged and yet the Lord kept us there. And I love the name of this place it's called Koinonia, which is a Greek word. And the church called it, they named it that 40 years ago. But I love that because it's Fellowship is what it means, sharing in common or communion. And that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to have fellowship as believers, and we want the Tepewan to have fellowship with Christ and with one another. And so we're trusting the Lord to use this place to bring more and more Tepewan into fellowship with himself. Um, so as we get back, we've already done some demo and uh, fixing up, but not much, just destroying stuff, which doesn't cost any money. So that's fun. And the kids love it. They love helping. They love weed, um, yeah, picking weeds and raking and stuff. Um, so, yeah, as we get back in January, back to Mexico, we're going to f- be full-time getting this property livable and, and trusting the Lord to, to do that. Um, and as we trust the Lord to begin a church in the city of Chihuahua with the Tepewan people, it's amazing to see how God has brought the Tepewan people and the town of BG or Baburigame, they started meeting together on their own without a missionary for the first time in, in August of this last, of this, uh, yeah, of this year. Um, so that's a huge praise that 
these believers are seeing the need to come together to fellowship and find encouragement in one, with one another. But pray, this, this is about a group of 40 people that know Christ. So there's still over 9,000 Tepewan that don't know Christ. And so that's our goal is to see more and more Tepewan come to know Christ. And as we look at BG or Tepe, or the Tepewan in Chihuahua City, a lot of Tepewan come to this city and they also go back to where they live for trips or, or they come for a year or two and work and then they go back. So we're trusting the Lord to do what he did in Paul's day. Paul evangelized in the cities and then people went from the cities back to their homes. So we're trusting the Lord to, to multiply and expand his church, hopefully through that, through multiplication. And um, that's all we've got for our presentation. We have some prayer magnets. We would love it if you'd stick it on your fridge and pray for us. And there's also a sign-up on that table for your email if, you would love, if you'd like to receive our uh, email updates. We try to do those pretty regularly. Um, yeah, and thank you guys so much for allowing us to share. We are truly blessed to be able to meet with so many brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're, we just appreciate it. So thank you all so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. It's, it's so cool when you look in that little room and you see those are our brothers and sisters. I mean, the, the bond that we have in Christ. I mean, I remember being in the jungle of the Philippines, being with people I did not know, but they knew Jesus and there was just a bond. Just, it's amazing. It's, so, it's just so encouraging that you're out there doing the work. I was going to ask you a bunch of questions, but you answered a lot of them. And so I, we're going to have a little time afterwards for people to, uh, if anybody wants to ask questions or get a hold of them, that'd be great um, to do that. Um, you know, every every year we have a, a giving tree in the back in the month of December. We've done Samaritan's Purse before. We've helped support the Christian Aid Center. And this year, it's just, man, it just it clicked. They're here. I've been, Caleb and I, for a few years, have been kind of conversing. I, I lost track of them there during COVID, but it's all back now. And uh, we just decided, you know, God's opened up a door for them. They're ministering from Walla Walla. Also, Calvary Chapel, uh, Walla Walla is their sending church. And so I just love you guys, and, and we want to bless you this year. And so they're, they, they need a house. They need, they need a home to minister to these people. So I thought it'd be great. Uh, we've got a, a giving tree. I'm going to have Erica come up here and actually explain in English what's going on. Uh, but it's an opportunity for us during the month of December to give from our hearts from the overflow of the love of God, of all that God's given us, and to, to bless this family and the people, the Tepewan people, that, man, that God would do his work in his time and his way, and we're just excited to be a part of that. So if we can be a blessing, and we'll see what God does beyond that, and, and we're praying. So um, anyways, with that, can I have Erica come up for just a minute to explain the giving tree? Amen. All right, um, it's pretty simple. So back there, there's some ornaments on the tree. Uh, there's start ornaments that have a designated dollar amount. You can grab the one you want or a couple of them. And there's some that are like tags with a red string. Those are blank, so you can just fill in the blank. Um, there's some also extra ones on the table. So grab an ornament and then your matching donation, either cash or check. And there's red envelopes in there. So just put in the envelope and then in the offering box. And that is separate from general giving. So it is definitely a separate fund. Um, 
So we'll be doing that for the next few Sundays till Christmas. So 25th is the last day to give. Um, we can also do that online um, on our website, on our giving page. You can just do the give now and there's a designated fund. So you just click the drop down and pick the right fund. It'll say uh, missions giving tree. So you can give online, you can grab an ornament, put your money in there in the red envelope, put it in the box. If you have questions, just reach out to me anytime. And anyways, all right, I think that's it. Thank you very much, awesome. <clears throat> so, uh, hey, could we, could we just pray for this wonderful family? If you'd come on up, let's just pray for you for a second. And I'll, I'll let you guys pray out too for a second. So I'll start us off and just a few of you, if you'd pray as well. And I, Lord, we just love you. Thank you so much for the Arnold family and the call that you've had upon their life, God. Thank you for bringing them back to Walla Walla for a little bit and giving them just some love on this end. God, will you just have your hand upon them as they travel? Uh, bless their way, Lord. Provide as you always have. Lord, we pray that many would come to know you. And when we're on the other side of glory, we would just worship you and praise you for how you do what you do, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we are not the ones on the field, but they are, but we want to be the arms and the heart and the hands and the feet and however we can help them, Lord. So thank you for giving this, us this opportunity, Lord. We ask that you bless them.